Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So we're going to read from John chapter 1. That's our plan um, for all the pastors as we preach in, uh, in Advent. Uh, we're all preaching out of John chapter 1, taking a particular theme. And um, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Now, we're not, uh, we're, none of us are going to preach on all first 18 verses, but we're all going to read verses 1 through 18. So stand, and I'm going to um, lead us and do that very um, thing. So John's uh, very interesting. John's gospel, you know, is um, he doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus. Um, He doesn't have uh, Mary and Joseph in the manger and all of that, right? Like uh, the other gospels. He doesn't talk about Bethlehem and and all that. He he actually starts his gospel where? Genesis 1, the beginning of the Bible, right? Here's the beginning of the uh, story. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Word is a, is a, would have meant a lot to John's Greek um, Gentile audience that he's writing to. They would have understood um, this. And uh, John is, of course, referring to Jesus. It says, he was, the Word was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creator of the whole world. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. Now, that's not the John who writes this book. The John who writes this book was the youngest of the um, apostles. He's the one that's often uh, refers to himself as the one who, who Jesus loved. He's the one who's reclining on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. Um, it's, the, it's John. This is the author of the fourth gospel. But the person he's referring to is another person named John, and we know that's John the, John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. There's no doubt that that John the Apostle here is correcting probably some sect or some group of people who think that John the Baptist maybe is the Messiah. He was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him. And he cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. 
For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made God known. Amen. This is the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inspired word. Jesus, light of the world, open up our minds and hearts. We are stubborn. Only your power can make us hear the truth and believe it. Only your power and your love can open our minds and hearts to see that you're what we have been longing for our whole lives. And if you're in this room right now and you're willing to, why don't you just silently pray this prayer. Lord, I'm listening right now. And I want you to speak to me. Speak to me through your word. Teach me. Lord, I want to be in the light. Hear our prayers, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated, please. So as Adam led us through worship, we know that there's darkness in our world. So much darkness. Our world is not neutral There is evil, and oftentimes it feels as though evil has the upper hand. On October 7th, in Israel, we know that uh, Hamas soldiers went into that country and they committed the most heinous atrocities, unspeakable, really, um, acts visited on women and children and babies. And we're reminded in such a stark way that there's evil in our world, demonic evil, even in our world. Well, we should never be surprised, right? Russia invades Ukraine. Hundreds of thousands of children snatched from that country and given to families in Russia. Unspeakable evil. We shouldn't be surprised, right? In our own country, we, we have people who take guns into schools and do the most, I mean, whoever thought that was really going to be a thing, you know, um, in our own country and how horrified we are at the fruit of that evil visited on children and communities. A number of years ago, Oh, I don't know, uh, five, ten years ago, we had a group from the church go on a Reformation tour, the same tour that folks are signed up to go for in, uh, in April again. And as a part of that tour, we went to a um, Nazi concentration camp um, called Terezin. Terezin uh, largely held the German, um, originally political prisoners, um, leaders of society, all people who were opposed to uh, Hitler and the... And, uh, and um, his minions, and uh, they, um, then they uh, began to uh, fill the place with Czechoslovakian Jews, and so we toured this um, camp. It wasn't one of the, it wasn't you know Treblinka or Auschwitz or one of the the the, the death centers. Um, at, at this camp, only thirty three thousand people died. Just thirty three thousand. Perhaps 90,000 more were shipped um, um, to the death camps. 
I will never forget about this, the tour that we had through this camp by the woman. She was a young woman. And, um, and, and it, it was though her carriage, um, her voice, her passion was as though she was leading us through her childhood home and describing us the massacre of her own family that happened in room by room by room. I mean, the sense of attachment she had to this place and the events that took place there and the horror she still um, felt. It just, throughout this um, tour, I mean, it was just palpable, her own, uh, as she poured herself into explaining all this. I mean, it was personal, it was real, it was painful. To her, I don't think I've ever had a tour guide ever capture the essence of a place the way this um, young woman did. I remember when it was all over, I said to you, how often do you do this? I mean, how could you possibly do this tour a couple times a day, day after day? She said, well, I know this, by the time a year is over, I'm wasted. I have to take a full year of recovery. It takes me a full year to recover, sort of staring. And this is 65 years ago when this had happened, when we were taking the tour. 65 years of distance. This young lady wasn't even alive when these things took place. And yet still, the evil in our world was so palpable and present. That's why Christmas, we call it the most wonderful time of the year, right? Because in Christmas, um, the light breaks in um, to the world. Christmas is announced by lights, isn't it? So in Inverness last weekend and Crystal River this weekend, they lit the Christmas trees, right? Because they're announcing it's Christmas uh, is announced. The, the, um, the wreaths, right? Um, every, uh, every week a light is lit. It's as if, as if we're, we're crying out as a people, um, Jesus, you came, but come again. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And every candle is getting us closer Uh, Come into our world with a light. Lights light up neighborhoods. Lights light up shops. Parents pack their kids in cars and drive around. They look at the lights, all the lights of Christmas. And it culminates right in this room on Christmas Eve, doesn't it? The whole room is dark at the end of the service. And then we pass pass the light through the room. Do you know why Christmas is December 25th? That was the day Jesus was born. Um... No, um, we don't know exactly when Jesus was born. We, of course, know the time of year in which he was born. So why December 25th? How did December 25th become the day that we chose to celebrate uh, the birth of Christ? It is because in the Mediterranean world, it is the longest day of the year. It is the darkest day of the year. That's why Christmas is on December 25th. Because Christ comes into our world. Do you know how dark our world was when Christ came? Do you know that in 400 years there had been no word from God? There were no prophets. The Old Testament ends and 400 years go by. God has not spoken. Do you know how few people are followers of God in the entire world when Jesus comes? Is that utter darkness? Then the light came. The light broke into the world. Um, You know, how does the Bible start? That's what John does. He takes us right back to the beginning of the Bible. How does the Bible start? In the beginning, it says, darkness covered everything. Darkness hovered over the deep. In the beginning, there was darkness. And God said, let there be light. And there was. 2,000 years ago, he did it again. 
God said, let there be light in a little manger in Bethlehem. There was. And today, December 3rd, Seven Rivers Church, I'm praying that God says in some of your hearts and minds, let there be light. And you'll experience the light of God's love and favor in a way you've never experienced it before. God likes to do that, you know. The light has come into the world. And I'm praying it comes to some in this room today. You with me? So we got a sermon outline. Let's talk about the identity of the light. We're reading from studying John chapter one, what we read. What's the source of this light? What's the identity of the light? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world, right? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Um, Isaiah prophesied that this would happen. The ancient prophet Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah chapter nine, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shown. You know, later on in Isaiah chapter nine, uh, for unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given, right? These great prophecies of the coming of one who is going to bring the light. We get all the way to the other end of the prophecy of Isaiah. And he says, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. Thick darkness, the peoples. We, we actually get, you can leave that up there. We actually get the, 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 the gospel displayed to us every day, don't we? Because every day darkness covers the earth, right? Every day we have that experience. Um, this time of year, what time is it? I don't know, 5.30, 6 o'clock or whatever. And we're plunged into darkness. But the Lord will arise upon you. His glory will be seen. So every day something happens that drives the darkness away. What do we call that? The sun rises, right? The sun. So Jesus in the Bible is being compared to the sun that brings light into a dark world, right? So Jesus is the sun that brings light. Life that brings truth and that brings beauty. Let's talk about those for just a minute. Um, life, Jesus brings life. The, you know, if the sun went out, we would freeze. If the world was darkened, all the plants uh, would die, all the animals would die, and all the people would eventually die a slow um, death. It'd be just like like Minnesota, right? <laughs> no. No son. Um, John um, says, in him is life, and the life was the light of men. God is the source of life. Jesus is the source of life. I'm going to say it to you straight. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Not life as it was intended. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. And you, you might have abundant life, rich life, life as it was intended to be. I've come to restore you to the garden. I've come to restore you, uh, to restore the relationship between God and man that was lost. I'm come that you might have life. He is the son. Uh, absent the son, there's no life. Absent Jesus, there's no life. 
Second, I mean, the sun, the sun in a sense brings truth because it allows us to see reality, right? If you're driving down the road and there's no street lights and you're, there's no ambient light from, from uh, houses anywhere, you're in a rural area and your headlights of your car go out, um, that's okay if, you're, if, uh, if the road goes at a straight line. But once that road makes a curve, guess what? You can't see. You can't see reality. You don't know uh, where the road's going. You plummet off the road into a pond. Perhaps you hit a tree. The outcome, of course, is not good because you can't see things the way they are. It's a terrible thing to live in this world and not be able to see things the way they are. Do you know how much of this world believes that you can have male genitalia and be a woman? It's a terrible thing to live in this world and not see things the way they are. There is truth. There is, you know, and, um, and to see that, uh, how often we use the phrase even, that uh, when we can't get something, we can't get something. Remember when you were in calculus class? No, I wasn't either. Um, <laughs> I could never get beyond basic, um, about sixth grade math. Um, but you know, if you're ever in like calculus or trigonometry or something and you're trying, you're trying, and maybe, maybe one day you had an experience where you say, ah, what, right? I get it. It all sort of fell into place. And what seems so impossible, uh, now you got it. You understood it was that these things were unlocked to you, right? And you might even say, I mean, almost instantly, what? The light went on, Right? You know when you're trying to fix some appliance at home or something, there's a better chance that you're going to electrocute yourself than that the appliance is actually going to be repaired. You watch some YouTube video and you've got all the wires pulled out and everything else. And you can't get it and you can't get it and you can't get it. And then the light goes on. And you go to Lowe's and get a new one, right? That's, that's, that's... <laughs> we have moments where we don't get it, we don't get it, we, don't, we just don't see it. And we even say the light goes on, that, that, that we see truth, Right? We see reality. We see things the way they are. And that's what happens spiritually too. It's fascinating to think of Martin Luther and, and, and um, John Wesley, and, and we could mention many others, but these are two very famous uh, epic religious leaders that impacted the entire world. And they were pastors, they were religious leaders, and they weren't converted. They had studied, they were scholars, they knew all about the Bible, they, all, they were proclaiming it, and they weren't converted. There was a time in which they were leading people spiritually, and the light had not gone on in their lives. You know, you know John Wesley actually was sent as a missionary to St. Simon's Island, and he uh, established a mission there on St. Simon's and uh, he eventually got kicked out and, uh, and sent back in disgrace to England because he fell in love with a woman there and the woman wouldn't um, um, respond to his uh, overtures appropriately to John. And so he had her kicked out of the church. And not only that, he didn't just kick her out of the church, he had her excommunicated. He had her declared to be an unbeliever. She was destined for hell. Well, uh, John got in trouble for that. And they put him on a boat and sent him back to England. And on that boat back to England, the, the, a terrible storm hit the boat. And, um, and he feared for his life. And everyone on the boat feared for the life, except for this small group of Christians. They were called Moravians. And they sat there singing hymns while everybody else was crying out for their lives in dread fear. 
And Wesley watched them and he had to conclude what? They have something I don't have. They know God in a way I don't know God. They have peace in the midst of the storm that I, I don't know anything about that. And it wasn't long after that he got back to England. He described his heart as being strangely warmed, right? The light went on um, for John Wesley. Um, you know, his brother Charles wrote to him, and can it be that I should gain, has one of my favorite um, verses Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee, right? A light came into my prison. No, he's not describing being a prisoner and his doors of the prison open. He's describing spiritually, right? The light went on. He saw it. And, uh, and God saved him. Have you experienced that? That's the Christian experience. That, that's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be a Christian. That Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, allows us to see the truth, right? That this is true. That there is a God, that there is a creator, that the earth isn't a matter of, of, of chance, uh, the way things have become, that, that we're made in the image of God, even unborn little ones, made in the image of God that have inestimable worth, right? There is a heaven, there is a truth, there are facts, you got it? We live in a world in which there's truth. We can know truth because Jesus is the light. With me? We've got, we've got life, right? In Jesus, we've got truth, and then we have beauty. Beauty and joy. I mean, light just dazzles us, doesn't it? Just think of, 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 of light reflecting across water. We have that a lot in our community, in the rivers and the lakes and the gulf and places. We see that sunset over the water. We see the light first thing in the morning absolute stunning um, beauty. Did you see the moon this week? The only time of the year that the moon is like it was this last week. If you didn't see it, you lost it. <laughs> it's gone. But it was awesome. I wonder if you'll ever get a chance to go to Paris to see what might be the most beautiful building on the earth. Saint-Chapelle. Um, just very close to... Um, in Paris, right, right across the Seine River, right near Notre Dame. Uh, what a marvel of, of a construction, right? How do you build a massive Gothic chapel with a massive roof uh, and the walls are all made of what? Glass. And all that stained glass. Now, you could go in there at night and it would be beautiful, but when's it really beautiful? It needs the light, doesn't it? It's when the light pours through that, um, uh, that glass, then you're um, utterly mesmerized. Um, you know, absent light, people get depressed, right? If you've ever lived in Chicago, you know what I mean, right? Um, they actually have medical uh, terms for this disorder that comes months of no Light. Augustine said spiritually it's the same thing, that our hearts are restless. 
It doesn't matter what we have. It doesn't matter if we have a pretty good marriage, pretty good kids, pretty good job, pretty good home, pretty good health, all kinds of things. Our hearts are restless if we're cut off from the light. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. Nothing else will do. If there is no sun, no Jesus, no joy, no beauty, no life, no truth. I'm just going to say it as plain as I can say it. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. And you're not going to find life in anything else. And some people try it in sex and drugs and things that will ruin their life and marriage and mar- after marriage or relationship after marriage. Some people try it in going to church. Some people try to go to church and be good and do good deeds. Some people try it uh, to be good neighbors. Some people try it by uh, making money and being successful and being uh, revered and honored and praised. Nothing works except for Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Everything else is vain. But he came. The light can come on in you too. Um, you know the sad thing, John three nineteen. what does it say? And this is the judgment that light has come into the world. And people loved what? They loved the darkness. Um, Charles um, uh, C.S. Lewis said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. That somehow in the darkness we can find life. But it's folly. It's utter folly. And I'm going to beg you right now. Make Christmas 2023, December 2023, the day you ran home to the God who made you, to the light of the world. May this month be the month that the light goes on in your life and in your heart. That's why those Christmas um, Eve invitations are so important. Every year, as the year goes on, we interview people to join our church. And we have them come in and we ask them to tell us their story. How did the light go on in your life? How did you get uh, converted? How did you become a follower of Jesus? It is amazing how many times through the years I've heard people say, I walked in church on Christmas Eve. I'm not a churchgoer. Sometimes they say I went to church my whole life. Sometimes they say I never go to church. I went on Christmas Eve. And I just got to tell you, something happened there. The light went on. The light went on. You don't have to wait for Christmas Eve. It could be December 3rd. You with me? Jesus is the light of the world. Secondly, how how, how is the darkness conquered? The victory of the light. Let's talk about that. We know how dark the world is. Senseless violence, broken marriages, people wrongly incarcerated, homelessness, desperate refugees, mental illness, cancer, grief. I, I didn't have any cousins growing up. I mean, I mean, by blood, I had eight or nine cousins. I'm not even sure how many I had, but I never knew them. They lived in New Jersey. We lived in Miami. And we didn't want any of those people coming down to um, (laughs) Joyzeans. So I didn't ever get to know my cousins. I mean, maybe I met them one time when I was a kid. And now I'm on this family charity board and we have meetings in New Jersey. And one of my cousins, Rich, Rich Cortez is on the, um, bored. And he's so funny and he's so fun. And sometimes we drive around and he says, oh, look, look, right there. That's where your mom used to live. I don't know any of this stuff, you know. 
He knows all about the history of my parents and everything. And now he has cancer. Just this week, we found that he has it in both of his lungs. Not long ago, I didn't have a cousin. Now I have a cousin I love. And we're about to lose him. There's darkness in our world, isn't there? You know, it's not only dark for all the uh, pain and, and hardship and all that. You know what else is dark about our world? Is nobody can do anything about it. Nobody can fix it, right? Uh, I mean, where's the answer to be found, right? Um, man in his hubris uh, thinks they can find But I just want to ask you something. In the world's problems, do, do you think the answer is going to come from Harvard or Yale or Princeton or Stanford or the College of Central Florida? Do, do, uh, let's just take a vote. How many of you think the answer is going to come from Washington, D.C. and the federal government? <laughs> I knew that would get a response. Um, how many think that, that, that uh, the money people, Wall Street, um, um, all the hedge funds, all, that, that whole side of our world, that they're going to solve our world's problems? That Bill Gates and Elon Musk and, 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 and all their tribe are going to solve our problems. How many of you um, think that technology is the answer to our world's problems? How many think Silicon Valley is going to lead us out of the darkness into the um, light? Isn't it one of the greatest fears in our world right now that technology is actually going to make the world more dark? Isn't it an actual reality that already technology is making the world more dark? Anybody who works with children in education knows that technology is ruining the lives of children and parents seem hardly willing to stand in the way. So when you talk about a dark world, it's, it's not just that it's broken, it's that nobody can fix it. It's not, hey, if we all just got together, we could make this world a better place. No, no. We, you know, remember World War I, and some of you do, um, um, just saying. Um, it was the war to end all wars. How'd that work out? Reading a book about the decision to drop the atomic bomb um, on Japan in 1945 and just thinking of the horror of we have a war, we have a weapon, the weapon can end the war, uh, we need to end this war. How do we end this war? We can end this war by dropping this weapon and killing untold thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, maybe a million people uh, would be instantly incinerated and we could stop the war. Or we could stop the war by invading Japan, which would cost the lives of perhaps two million uh, people, including half a million to a million allied um, soldiers. There's our choices. There's our choices. Let's make the world a better place. Let's kill a million people or let's kill two million people. We can stop that war. Um, so you see how desperate we are. You know, Vaclav Havel became the first president of the Czech Republic. So this is a great moment where the Soviet Union is overthrown and people are breathing the air of freedom for the first time. And this is what the first president of the Czech Republic said. He said, pursuit of the good life, you know, like the West has, is not going to help humanity save itself. Democracy alone is not enough. A turning to and seeking of God is needed. 
The human race constantly forgets that he is not God. Do you hear what he said? We need God. We don't need freedom. We don't need democracy. That's not our first need. We need God. There has to be a turning to God in this. You know, we think of Christmas as very sentimental. We all have a lot of sentiment wrapped up in Christmas memories and experiences. But Christmas is not sentimental at its heart. It's blunt. You know what the message of Christmas is? You're so screwed up that you can't fix yourself. That the creator of the universe has to break into the world to fix you. It's pretty blunt. Um, the light has to intervene. And that's the beauty of Christmas, right? That's what I love about Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, we light the last of these five candles. It's the Christ candle. And then at the end of the service, we turn the lights out. And um, maybe we sing, Oh, Holy Night. And uh, as that's being sung, somebody comes up here and they light their candle by the Christ candle. And then they take it to one and another and another and another. And then the light begins to spread through the whole room. And by the time we're done, what? The darkness is driven out. And we're enacting. We're, we're, we're a part of the great drama of the light coming into the world. And fiercely attacking the darkness. That's what Jesus came to do. Can't wait for this Christmas Eve. Can't wait for it every year. For the hope. It's my favorite service of the year. It's the one time every year I drive home. I drive home alone on Christmas Eve after three services. I, I weep on the way home. Every time. The light has come into the world. So how does that light get inside of you? How does it drive? You know what it does? It humbles us. The light shows us our great need. Just like I said, Christmas is God having to break into the world because we, we can't fix it. Only he can fix it. So Christmas humbles us. It's the light, right? The light has us to see the truth about ourselves. How desperate... Um, we are, I, I love the story of the woman. She, she went to a dentist. She went to a new dentist. She'd never been to this dentist before. And she saw on the wall, in the waiting room, she saw his name um, on his diploma. And she thought, that's the same name of a guy who went to my high school. I mean, he was so handsome. He was tall and good looking. And, and I, had, I had such a crush on him. Hmm. And uh, so she went in, they you know, did, the, did the dental stuff. And, uh, um, you know, when she first saw him, when she walked in, she said, no, that's, that can't be him because this guy was bald. <laughs> had gray hair, what little hair he had. He um, had deep lines in his face and she just thought he is way older than me, way older than me. When her appointment was over, she just happened to say, and said, did, did you by any chance go to Morgan Park High School? And he said, Morgan Park, yeah, Morgan Park Mustangs. I was a Mustang. Uh, and she said, what year did you graduate? He said, 1969. And she said, um, well, then, um, you know, I was in your class. Or you were in my class. She said, you were in my class. And he said, Oh, you were a teacher? <laughs> the truth, the truth hurts. Um, like looking in the mirror, right? We can have all kinds of illusions about what we look like. And then that damnable mirror 
um, tells us the truth. When the light goes on, we see when, when God is kind enough to show us who we are, we see our ugliness and our pride and our selfishness and our, our, our um, self-absorption. You know what Christmas means? We're so lost, we're so unable to fix ourselves that nothing less than the death of the Son of God is needed, right? So you got to admit, that's how you get fixed. You can't get fixed unless you're willing to admit you're not moral and you're not good and you can't fix yourself and you're not better than anyone else and you have no righteousness and you need God and you need his forgiveness and you need his grace and you're desperate. It's like, it's like AA, right? What happens when you go in an AA meeting? Hi, I'm Ray. I don't use alcohol. I'm not addicted to anything and I'm better than all of you. How does that work out? How welcome are you, right? No, AA is where you say, I'm addicted. Something has me. I can't beat it. And the first thing you learn in AA, right, is there has to be a power outside of me that comes inside of me that will allow me to change. That's the first thing that has to happen as a Christian. You have to realize, I cannot have life on my own. I cannot be who I'm supposed to be. I can't fix myself. But there is a light that comes to you that enthralls you. That's the other thing, is the light of the world. You become enthralled with Jesus. You become enthralled with the love of Jesus and you realize it's all you ever wanted. Somebody who would love you so much that they would die for you. Because the light of the world came to be plunged into the darkness to redeem us. I mean, that's what happens when Jesus on the cross, is on the cross, right? The sky grows what? Dark. In the middle of the day, it grows dark, utterly dark. The people there were scared out of their minds. They were undone. They thought it was the end of the world. Because the sun was going out. The light of life was being vanquished. Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Well, the reason is Jesus plunges into the darkness, right? To experience what we deserved so that we would never know the abandonment of God. So that we could experience the love and affection of God. You got it? This, this love of God that you'll find nowhere else, it enthralls you. You see all your ugliness, and yet you see that through Jesus you're loved, you're adopted, you're welcome. All the screw up, all the mess you've made. So Harry Ironside was an old uh, evangelist, uh, Bible teacher, and he was in San Francisco one time, and he was teaching in an open-air setting, and people were gathering around and listening to him. And suddenly a man came up to him and thrust an invitation into his hand. So Ironside read the invitation to the people there. The man was inviting him to a debate that Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock in a, a science hall at a local university, um, and, and he said, I will present the merits of agnosticism. You can present the merits of Christianity. Let's have it out in an open um, debate. I invite you to debate with me. And Ironsides read that to the crowd. And, uh, and he looked at the man and he said, I accept your invitation. I'm glad to debate you under this one condition that will apply to both of us. He said, here it is. You have to bring two people to that debate, a man and a woman, and they have to be people whose lives were down and out, 
ruined. They were in despair. They had habits that they could not break. They were uh, living in a way that was destructive to them and their families. They were just sort of hopeless and, and, uh, and lost and, and, and they couldn't do anything about it. But then they came upon the teachings of agnosticism. And when they experienced agnosticism, the light went on in their, uh, in their minds and in their hearts. And they got power in their life over all the things and habits that were destroying them. And uh, they became new people and they're filled with joy and hope and delight. You have to bring two people, one man, one woman. And I have to bring 100 men and 100 women. I promise to bring that have, and were experiencing their life being in a total ruin, but they met Jesus. And Jesus has utterly transformed their life, given them power to change and made them new, and they are filled with joy and hope, and their lives are given to other people in selfless generosity. You got it? We know that that debate didn't take place, did it? Because you can't find anybody that unbelief changed their life. You got it? The light of the world attacks the darkness and the darkness cannot prevail. So that being true, we have a job to do, to be carriers of the light. That's the last point. We're finished. Hot chocolate awaits you. The carriers of the light. It says in John 1, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light, right? All who belong to Jesus are sent. John the Baptist was sent to bear witness. We need to recover our, our sentness as the people of God. Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount. What does it say? You are the light of the world. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Then he looks at his followers and says what? You are the light of the world, right? A city set on a hill can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. This little light of mine, right? Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. They don't give you a light to put it under a basket. You put it on a stand so it'll light the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father is in, he in heaven. We are the carriers of the light. So I read this week about a neighborhood in Baltimore where a guy was putting up lights on his house and then he thought of his neighbor and he thought of how sad his neighbor was. So she was really struggling. I think her mother had just died. And so he just in random ran the lights across the street, not, not next to, all the way across the street to her house and put lights on her house too, connected to his house. So when he turned on his lights, her lights went on. And then, that, and that woman was so moved by that, that that she went and bought lights and strung them across to the street to the next neighbor and then it went to the next neighbor and then it went right down the street. Um, and, and I love uh, what the guy said. There was no plan. It just grew out of everybody's desire for beauty, joy, and community. Don't you think in our heart of hearts we were created to want beauty, joy, community? That's why we carry the light out into the world. Because we're going to touch something in the hearts of people. There's eternity is bound up in the heart of every person. They want light. They want beauty. They want joy. They want hope. You know what the woman who was the recipient of that light said? The lights made me look up 
and forget all the things that were dragging me down. The light pushed the darkness out of me. We get to push the darkness out one little light at a time. That's the purpose of our lives. Are you bearing the light? I have a friend who became the pastor of a church. It was over a hundred year church. And when he got there, he's getting to know the church. Everybody wanted to tell him, we're a historic church. We're a church that has a proud history. We're a church that's been fruitful for a long time. This is a very distinguished and important church in the history of this community. So he thought he ought to read up on the, uh, on the story of this church. And what he found was that they were on their fourth location. They started in the city, but when the racial um, uh, mix of that neighborhood changed, uh, they moved further out. And every time the neighborhood got um, the racial uh, ethnic makeup of the neighborhood changed or maybe there was more poverty in the neighborhood, they moved, they moved, they moved, each time moving to people who are more prosperous and more um, wealthy neighborhoods. My friend got up in front of the church and said, since I've come here, I've heard all about the great distinguished history of this church, but I gotta tell you something, God's not happy with us. He said, for a hundred years, I wanna tell you what we've done. God made this, you know, and, and he described to them what they did. And he said, God made this church to be a lifeboat. And for a hundred years, we've been rowing as fast as we can to get away from people who need to be rescued. And they repented. And he's just celebrated his 15th uh, anniversary as a pastor of that church. And they are plugged into their community in a way they never were before, bringing light to the darkness. So Sharon Hirsch, I know Sharon Hirsch. I took classes from Sharon Hirsch. She's a therapist in um, Denver. And she wrote this week that she was leaving church last weekend. And on the way to church, um, it was 14 degrees in Denver. And uh, she went by a homeless encampment tucked you know, between a Chevron and, a, and an old rundown quality inn. And people in tents, and she's thinking it's 14 degrees and there's children in there. How are those people going to make it? And she said she started to weep in church and God said, I want you to do something about that. Well, what am I going to do about it? I don't know what to do. God said, do something, figure it out. So she set off after church. She's going to go to a dollar store and buy all kinds of, you know, beef jerky and other things and maybe blankets. I don't know. And she's going to do something. And, and uh, she said the Broncos were playing. And so the t- total traffic, she couldn't get anywhere. So she eased over by that homeless encampment. She opened her purse. She took all the money she had. She couldn't communicate with anybody there, but when they saw the money, they were interested. So she just said, baby, baby. And, and they began to take her to tents and open up the tents. And there she found little newborn babies and for some of them. And they were covered with blankets and they were huddling around the baby, doing everything they could to keep the baby alive and warm. And she gave all her money away, baby. And another tent opened, baby. And uh, then when she went finally to leave, the money was all gone. There was somebody banging at the door with a little child in his arms. Baby, he said, baby. Now she didn't have anything else. She's scrambling around the floor of her uh, car for coins, you know, what it is. What else could I give uh, to help? Give her coat away, you know. And uh, she went home. She couldn't get uh, those people out of her mind So she went to the ATM the next morning. She took out money and she went back there. And um, 
This is what she said. She said, I found Jose cutting hair in a tent near the front of the encampment. Baby, I asked. He left his scissors and took me to meet his wife, Evener, and his two-year-old daughter, Azarni. With the help of Google Translator, he told me they were from Venezuela, that he has no job and no place to live. He told me he's a barber and asked if I could help him find a job. I gave him all the cash I had from the ATM. You know what she says motivated her? Listen to this. The true story of the immigrant family who couldn't even get a room at the tawdry quality inn. So they kept their baby warm underneath the hay in a feeding trough in a manger. It's a 2,000 year old story. It's a story of the light breaking into the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.